At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hey, sorry for the preamble here, but unfortunately we had a few audio issues on today's show. I spent as much time editing it as I could. Unfortunately, you're still going to hear some rustling sound, but we figured it was better to post it than not. We regret the error though, and we will definitely do better next time. Listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 prevented by Locked On and Odyssey featuring Analysis from the greatest of all time of NBA mock drafts, Chad Ford and Odyssey NBA experts, Brian Scalabrini and former general manager, Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite teams throughout the week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome on to Hollinger and Duncan. Much to discuss here with the, the Bucks championship. Giannis, where his historical performance last night ranks and then we got to get into disagreements on the draft and also on free agency and uh the it's very convenient that john writes a bunch of stuff uh, in text form and ranks everything so that i can then uh nitpick and disagree <laughs> well we'll we'll see where this goes because i disagree with my own formula on some of this but I, I think we got to start off, though. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks, NBA champions. And, uh, you know, Giannis decided to stay there, sign the extension, win it in Milwaukee, and he got it done. So props to him. A dominating performance in Game 6 and really multiple signature moments throughout this series. Uh, when you talk about the, the block in Game 4, which I really think was the turning point in the series, uh, the alley finish in Game 5, and then obviously the cherry on the Sunday with Giannis turning into Larry Bird at the free throw line, 17-19, uh, and 16-25 and, uh, from the field, five block shots. I mean, just a dominating effort. Yeah, it's got to be right up there with some of the greatest games in NBA Finals history. And, I mean, probably top five, you go back to Magic in Game 6 in 1980 and Walt Frazier Game 7, 1917. 19, 1970, not 1917. Been watching too many uh, World War One documentaries lately. Uh, 36 points, 19 assists to close out the Lakers in uh, the game that is remembered for Willis Reed, but Frazier was by far the best player in that one. And you know maybe you, uh, some of the Jordan games in 93 and 98 or LeBron in 2016, You know those are the ones that really come to mind. And then particularly over the course of, of an entire series to have 
three games of 40 or more points in the five healthy games that he had. The fact that he was not fully healthy, by the way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were questioning his health coming into this. That was part of why I picked Phoenix uh, to win in seven. And who knows? I mean, maybe Phoenix still would have won in seven if they had uh, if they had taken care of business in that game four, which is really their lost opportunity in this series to me. But as the series wore on, you could see Milwaukee figured out Phoenix a lot more than Phoenix figured out Milwaukee. And I think that really showed in, in the Suns' inability to score in game six after they really re- relied on superior shot making on not great shots in games four and five. No, I, I think, uh, and Phoenix will be kicking themselves a little bit too. You know, I mean, they shot six out of 24. They're supposed to be a really good three-point shooting team. They blew some easy, fast breaks. Uh, they had some turnovers, particularly they had four pretty darn good looks at threes in the last five minutes or so that could have changed things. But I, I agree with you that Milwaukee really was the better team. And, you know, maybe this is probably not a five-gamer because Phoenix had home court. But I, I think it was, if the Bucks had home court, it would have been, and if Giannis were healthy, obviously. Once uh, he came into his own in game two, they controlled the series pretty darn well. And given some of the terrible shooting games that they had in this series, that they were still able to win anyway, you know, that was pretty pretty remarkable. We had, you know, three really fun games at the end of the series as well. Um, and do you, uh, as we go back and look at it here, I mean, the Bucks. uh, they were a very resilient team. They overcame deficits, including 2-0 deficits, twice. Um, how do you see them in this postseason? With all the injuries, do you kind of think like, all right, you know, let's uh, let's see how good these guys really were next year? Or are you like, no, these guys really you know, are, are a very solid NBA champion in the end? Uh, I would say, that, like, they're certainly not at the top of the echelon, but I think they're a legitimate champion. Uh they, they slipped through a window a little bit in terms of some of the injuries that, that happened that opened the door for them, especially the injuries to Brooklyn, obviously. But they were the team most capable of taking advantage of that, too. And, you know, you can, you can wonder about whether a healthy Clippers team would have beaten them. But I don't know if you can say definitively that that would have happened either. I mean, a healthy Clippers team needed seven games to get out of the first round. So, uh, and just, you know, it was pretty impressive from the way they took care of business out of the gate against Miami, the way they came back, you know, you go back and look, that game three against Brooklyn, a game they, they probably shouldn't have won and would have been down 3-0 if they lost. Uh, I, th- I think that's one of the key turning points in, in this postseason, certainly. And that seventh game where Kevin Durant's foot was a, a size too large, obviously. But that that said, I mean, this is a Milwaukee team that had the best record in the league the two years running before this. Uh, could have potentially been the champion, you know, in 2019, the year Toronto won. And so you you look at their, their arc with this group and you say, okay, they, they – it's fair that they would have won one somewhere in here, right? <laughs> so, yeah. I, you know, and you, I think you say that much more so than if Phoenix would have won, you would have really said, like, okay, they really slipped through a window here and grabbed one. Yeah, and Phoenix uh, as well. I mean, they never they never had played a healthy team uh, until this Bucks team and ended up losing. I, I think it's fair to note that neither of those two teams made it to uh, – the finals with the hardest path in the world. Um, 
Uh, but you can also note that, hey, they had their injury issues too, Giannis and Chris Paul, and they they got through it. Those The other teams were not able to, to get through it. And I think there might be something to the argument that, hey, this season was a different kind of season. Maybe it's not a worse season necessarily. I mean, maybe for the fans it's worse, but you know, it doesn't necessarily diminish the accomplishment. But clearly, this this season was more of a war of attrition than we've seen before. And the Bucks, in particular, they were able to work through that, right? I mean, the conditioning of Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to play 45 minutes a game every game and never get hurt. Uh, they had nobody else, really, and uh, who could come into those positions. And then Giannis to be able to recover from his injury as quickly as he did to play over 40 minutes. You know, they never, they never seemed to get in debilitating foul trouble. They just, they made it through this and played at a level where they still were able to physically overwhelm the, the Phoenix Suns in the end. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I, but I am desperately curious to see what it looks like next year and what, and what it was that Giannis now in these last two series, was that just a good matchup for him that he was able to play this well, that he was able to overwhelm the way he did all these years in the regular season, but he said, you know, he didn't have a great Brooklyn series for most of it uh, against a team that didn't have a ton of talent there. And he's had some past pass playoff errors. So I'm very interested to see, you know, as, cause I probably still would not rank Giannis the number one player in the NBA, even after this, uh, after this performance, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, he certainly has a stronger case this morning than he did a few days ago. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, I, there's a part of me that still wants to see him do it in a series against Kawhi or against LeBron, but you know, Kawhi's got an ACL now. So, and, and he's getting into his thirties. Like, are we going to see that Kawhi again? Um, so, so I think that's a, that's a fair question. And then I, I do share your curiosity. Like, can he tap into this in, in future series and future seasons or, or was this just a just a one-off deal, and are we going to go back to seeing more the guy we saw against Miami last year against Toronto two years ago? I, I think that's the really interesting question that drives where you rent. I mean, clearly, like he's somewhere in the top five, right? But that that drives like whether you can put him at the tippy top or not. Yeah. So, and also, it's worth remembering that uh, he was not the best player in that net series. That was Kevin Durant. You know, Kevin Durant outplayed him in that series and they ended up losing and you know Giannis did outplay him in the five minutes of overtime because he had one basket I think and, and Durant yeah. had, had zero in game seven but uh anything else you want to talk about with, with the box obviously we got plenty to talk about for for next year but well, uh yeah. I think uh the redemption of Mike Budenholzer I think is yes. something we're talking about um because he did mostly make the right adjustments. He did go deep on minutes on his guys where he was reluctant to do that in the past. Um, you know, the, the love fest with Jeff Teague was maybe a little much, but even, you know, by the second half of game five, he decided to go away from that too. I thought his strategy to pressure Chris Paul really worked and wore him down as the series went on. Uh, I thought he, they were able to get into some, some actions to free up uh, Middleton and Giannis as, as the series went on. Uh, I, I thought he mostly pushed the right buttons. I still would have liked to have seen more of Connaughton and less of P.J. Tucker uh, as, as this went on. But, but for the most part, I, I thought he pushed the right buttons, went, went to the right uh, matchups, and, and really had himself a very good final. No, I, I agree with you. And 
was a, he was able to make the adjustments and yeah it took two years of playoff heartbreak and you know maybe they would have had more playoff heartbreak uh, against the Nets and he would not be the Milwaukee Bucks coach anymore but Kevin Durant's su- shoe is a little bigger such a sliding doors moment right oh yeah absolutely so uh, you know and, and maybe they would have felt differently that they're able to come back for from O2 and, and not moved on from him uh but I, I I think that overall you'd have to say that in the Hawks series and the Suns series that he, he coached it pretty darn well. We would have thought that the Suns had the coaching advantage. I don't think the Suns coached a bad series, to be clear. I just don't think that they had very many buttons to push. You know, they had one guy, basically, who could defend Giannis. I think one thing that they could have done was just try to pack the paint even more than they were and make the Bucks shoot way more threes, like make them shoot 43 pointers because they're I mean they shot 32 percent on threes for the playoffs which is amazing that you can win a championship shooting 32 percent on threes in 2021 for but that just shows you how good they were in the paint but mostly I think the biggest thing about this team is just that this is like a very very good playoff defense like right up there with some of the great playoff defenses of all time I would say uh for Milwaukee you mean yes yeah yeah absolutely yeah yeah. And yeah, I mean, the, you know, Phoenix, they had a tough time with the backup center spot. They had they had a tough time showing bodies at Giannis when the bodies they were showing were all like six, four. You know, I mean, they're just a they're just a small team across the board. I think I think just getting more size on that roster is going to be a big thing in the offseason. Not having Saric low key uh, was was hurtful. I thought they could, because they could have played Sarge and Aiton together, which is the one way they really could have matched Milwaukee's size in some of these games where they were getting pounded on the glass. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think they would have had enough even with Sarge. No, I, I, I'm not sure that he would have changed things. I mean, and you, you could say, hey, you know, they had to fr- play Frank Kaminsky. Frank Kaminsky actually, like, wasn't that terrible. <laughs> that was his best game of the playoffs last night, Easily. I would say. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he wasn't just like, like they actually made some ground up with him late in the third quarter. I want to take a quick second to tell you about Sports Business Classroom, which I'm involved again this year. It's August 9th through 14th in Las Vegas. We are embedded in the NBA Summer League. Larry Kuhn came up with the curriculum. There's a salary cap major. There's a scouting and analytics major. There is a media major as well. If you love basketball, if you are trying to break into working in basketball, obviously we can't guarantee anything, but this is your best chance to learn networking skills, learn basketball skills, meet a ton of people, both inside the program and as instructors. Learn how to harness your talent and learn how to make people aware of your talent for basketball. Go to sportsbusinessclassroom.com and then put the familiar code CAPSPACE in the comment box and you can get $200 off as well. Larry Kuhn just went on my podcast, Dunked On, yesterday. If you want some more information about the program, that's sportsbusinessclassroom.com and write CAPSPACE in the comment box to get $200 off. All you know that... John and I do our show as a simulcast on Spotify Green Room, and then of course take questions after it. That's at two Eastern, eleven Pacific on Wednesdays. Danny Larue and I also do a room every week at six Eastern, three Pacific. It's so much fun to get on to interact with you all live. It's like sports radio, but the callers actually know what they are talking about. The way to get on there is to download the free Green Room app now, currently available on all iOS devices. They also have a beta 
on Android as well. Make sure you create a profile, you link your Twitter, and join the NBA group. Follow me at NateDuncanNBA. You get notified when my room goes live, and we'll see you there every week. All right, well, let's get into now the 2021 NBA draft, and you follow it it's much more closely. officially the offseason. I mean... This is uh, Hollinger like, and Duncan's time to shine, baby. Exactly, exactly. I mean, he's like <laughs> ring a bell or something. So, uh, you follow the draft very closely throughout the season. You write write articles on it. You're scouting guys throughout the season. Normally, you would be seeing guys in person, both when you worked for Memphis uh, and now as well. But you didn't get a chance to travel much this year. But you still are scouting guys throughout the year. I have a different approach uh, apparently I consider myself busier than you following the NBA. I don't know why that is. That's probably not actually true, but, uh, I, I don't lock in on the draft until after the season is over. And I usually only look at the, uh, top 10 guys or so I'm, I've gone through the top six right now, but, but you and I have some substantial disagreements on the top six Ooh, of, okay. of this NBA draft. And I think the guy that I would like to start with is with Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. You have a number three on your board. You have him above Jalen Green, and you have him above Jalen Suggs. Uh, you also have Alperin Sengen, number four, uh, but I, I haven't watched him yet, so I, I haven't had a chance to jump in uh, on that one. But tell us why Scotty Barnes is your number three prospect in what this is supposed to be considered a very good draft. Sure. Uh, so... Let, let's start on the defensive end where I think he's he's just really good. Like, even though he's 6'9", he's picking up point guards full court, pressuring them, uh, has, you know, really good energy, good feet, uh, you know, obviously has good size and length, 6'9", with a 7'3", wingspan. I think he's going to be very good at that end almost immediately and in a way that is really helpful at the NBA where he's going to be highly switchable, could even be like a junk ball five, almost like Draymond Green. Um, offensively, he uh, is not the most instinctive scorer, and that's probably the biggest weakness and the thing uh, people hold against him and that it kept his stock down kind of out of the top five guys for most of this process. Uh, but if you go back and look, like statistically, I think he was a better offensive player than people think. Florida State played a slow pace. Barnes played off, came off the bench. So he didn't put up like huge scoring number games, but 23.8 points per hundred, 56% shooting inside the arc. Like I think even though he's not explosive around the rim, he's able to get to the cup with long strides and you're able to see him get to the rim in the half court under his own scheme, which is the thing I always look at in, in draft prospects. And I think in the more open NBA floor, he'll be able to do that more easily. I mean, Florida State didn't even have a ton of shooting or, or floor spacing around him. So I, I just think there's a there's a ton of upside with him. And I, I, I guess I just get a lot more excited about his future than I do about some of these other guys in the, in the two through five range. And generally, I mean, the thing I found... You know, you kind of look at how a guy fills a stat sheet in the non-scoring categories, and a lot of times that gives you a better idea of who's the pro than just looking at points. So what do you see him as being, you know, so if you're going to take him as a top three pick, others are talking about him as a top five pick, my thought is the value of those picks is not even necessarily like your median value of the pick, but your percentage chance that you hit on a guy who's going to just be, you know, a real difference-making player 
for your team, an all-star level of player, maybe an all-NBA player. So what is his path to becoming that? He, he has to shoot. I mean, that's that's his path. I, I think if he shoots, he has, a, he has a real path to be a very good player because he can handle the ball and pass. Uh, you know, they, I mean, they were playing to a point guard even in his size. And so the, the shooting is going to be big with, with him, as it is with everybody. But he didn't shoot well from, from the perimeter. And he can't just be downhill drives if he's going to be one of the three best players on a, on a good team, which is what you're hoping you're getting out of this. Right. And so, so the, the shooting is definitely a variable here. And what you think of how that can develop probably colors where you would rank him. Yeah, and I think that's uh, where it falls apart for me because I I think you know even I, I I believe maybe it's possible he'll make like some standstill threes on low volume like that, but that's like as far as I can go. I think the chances of him getting beyond that, you know, maybe if he ends up in New Orleans with Fred Vincent, that could change. But I I think there's just as a shooter off the dribble, you know, any kind of like ability to rise up in the mid range or or shoot a three off the dribble or to even be like a decent volume guy on spot ups, any kind of movement. I just think that that is, I mean, I never want to say never with anybody because you know, there have been some guys who are pretty bad shooters who've become very, very good shooters in the NBA, you know, like Kyle Lowry, you know, Mike Conley was not a great shooter when he got drafted. You know, there, there are, there are guys, most of those are kind of small guards too, but like the way he shoots it, like he kind of shoots the set shot. He spreads his legs way out like I just I can't imagine and then you throw in uh 62% from the free throw line under 30% from three on very low volume he was 11 of 40 for the season um and he's not he he, t- he turns 20 on July 31st so he's not like the absolute youngest rawest prospect you know he's kind of average age for uh, a freshman you know we're not talking about uh Jonathan Kaminga a guy who's like super raw and young you know Kaminga's like I think nine months younger than him but so all those things I just like my operative assumption is he's just never going to be able to be a good a a good shooter that there's just you know maybe he'll hit a a standstill three every once in a while but you know I kind of see him being like the maybe he could get to be the level of shooter from three that like Kyle Anderson is right now, but I don't see him being as good of a two point shooter as Kyle Anderson is right now. Like he's actually a pretty good two point shooter. So that's, that's what colors it. And so I just, I, I can't. And then your problem becomes if he can't do any of those things, now you're putting the ball in his hands and you kind of got like the Rondo problem, right? Where everyone has to run off the ball and he has to set them up. But then when he does, or the Ben Simmons problem as well, you know, I think that's another another comparison there and to see compare like where Ben Simmons was in college to him as an offensive player like Ben Simmons way better than him and I think way more athletic as well so that's that's where I just don't see any kind of offensive upside there as impressive as the passing is um and so that's that's why I have a few other concerns too I've probably talked for long enough here but I mean do you just feel more optimistic on the shooting than me is is that like our big difference here yeah, I guess maybe maybe the background on him came back so strong that I maybe colored in too much there, but that just just that he's going to work on it and get better. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and and so you you want to believe in somebody like that, and then I think there's also the I mean the thing I say also is that okay if he if he does shoot we we can 
if, if he does shoot, you're almost talking about Kawhi Leonard at that point. Um, and so I, like I, I, I think his upside scenarios are really good. You, you, you just wonder, I guess, what, what are the odds? And that's where reason, reasonable people can disagree. What are the odds that the shot comes around to deliver on those scenarios? Yeah. Well, uh, what, let's say he, uh, yeah, Kawhi is actually a good example, right? I mean, he was the guy who the big knock against him was that he couldn't shoot and Chip Anglin got to him in the three days before the 2011 lockout and gave him a bunch of shit to do. And he came back and he was able to, able to make shots and he's become one of the best mid-range shooters. And, and he kind of adjusted his form. I, I didn't watch Kawhi that closely. That was before I was really into the draft, but I don't remember it being as bad just for, just from like a straight form perspective, even with Barnes and, you know, I saw some footage of him edited, of course, from his agent combine, but it didn't look like his form had changed significantly. Um, and I guess my other concern with him, with him too, would be I don't see him really as being able to protect the rim very much as a small ball five. You know, that he didn't have many blocks. He had 11 blocks on the season, so less, less than one uh, or less than 0.5 per game. Uh, playing, you know, fewer minutes as you noted, but so if you could play him as a true small ball five, and also I don't think he's like that athletic as a finisher, right? Like if you could say he could be a roll man and pick and roll, get up for some alley oops, uh, you know, I think you could make good decisions off a short roll if you're trapping, but you know, you could probably just switch him, right? Like I don't see him being able to like mash guys in the post. Like he's not quite the like nuclear athlete that I'd hope. I know the testing numbers are pretty good. I think he had like a thirty-six inch. Uh, no step for it. but I just didn't see that as much on film as him being just like an explosive athlete around the rim. So, uh, you know, solid, certainly. But, you know, if you're going to compare him to, say, OG Ananobi, another guy that you might be looking at defensively, and OG's not a great rim protector either, but I think OG has a little bit more explosiveness uh, than he does. So, I, I mean, I love all the intangibles like you talked about, and that was so obvious even watching him on film, just like what a great teammate and communicator he is. Uh, but ultimately I, I just, I, because of the shooting, I, I think that those upside scenarios are, are very limited, but you know, who knows if he ends up in the right place and he is a hard worker, maybe that changes, but he's going to have the amount of surgery he's going to have to do on his jumper. Like I can't remember a guy who just looking at him looked, the shot looked like that. The form looked like that, who wasn't shooting at a high level in college you know, like Lonzo would be different, right? Like he was shooting 40% from three in, in college, even though his form was jacked up, uh, who really became like a solid shooter. And then you've kind of got some limited outcomes. So, so that's that's my concern on him. Um, uh, anything else you, you wanted to add uh, on him though? Uh, no, I mean, I think I think we kind of broke it down there. Um, yeah. So I, but, I mean, but, I, mean I agree with you. shooting's a key piece. I mean, right. there's, I, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I understand your thought of like, hey, if the shooting works out then you've really got something here and you know shooting is a skill that you can learn i mean my this is maybe me having too much faith in just watching and being like this this is not gonna work <laughs> and maybe and maybe i'm too scarred by the ben simmons uh, experience recently um so well, my one yeah. my one my one lament from this season is that i couldn't get out and see guys shoot before games yeah, um, you know, going around to college games and college tournaments where you can see a guy take a hundred jumpers before the game and really get a sense of like, yeah, I don't know about that, <laughs> you know. And uh, 
So, because because j- just watching game shots is actually a lot harder uh, than when you can take a take a seat right next to the court, five feet away from the guy, and just watch him over and over and over again. Yeah, bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season is in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. You get the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get in the game. This team's prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's pretty good. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And don't forget the promo code locked on to let them know that you came from this network. All right, next big disagreement here. I'm going to have Jalen Green in my top tier, probably number two, or, or uh, actually, no. So he's definitely going to be number two on my board behind Cade, behind Cade. But I have to. I haven't decided yet whether I'm going to have him in the same tier as Cade or not. I'm going to watch a little more Cade before I re- record on him later today with Danny. So you have Jalen Green number five, and so you, that differs from the consensus. So why are you lower on him than some others? Um, I feel like if he was so good, he would have been better in the G League. And um, I guess I I wonder. Like I definitely see the athleticism. Uh, I think he can get to the point where he's a plus shooter, and but his he's going to be to me he's going to be a little bit of a one dimensional scorer in the league, uh, um, um, unless he really has kind of outlier development in other areas. Like his handle is really basic. Uh, I don't I don't think he's like reading the floor that well or or doing things like that as a passer. As a defender, he tries, but he has a uh, Skinny body will probably fill out a little bit, uh, but I, I think he's better going north-south than east-west, which is typical of a guy who's going to be a great scorer and maybe just an average defender. So I, I guess overall, what do you, you know? What, what are we talking about here? Like Zach Levine, maybe like that kind of guy. Zach Levine's pretty good. Zach Levine's pretty good. Yeah, no doubt. No uh, doubt. I, I mean now. Yeah, I, I think that's, you know, the Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Devin Booker, like that type of shooting guard, yeah, I think is the profile. Now, he I think he's better than any of those guys at the same age. Um, you know, I, I and maybe, and I, I will admit that you have a better understanding of what the overall competition is like in the G League these days. Uh, but I, I was impressed by what he was able to do going against men against guys who knew that NBA scouts were watching all of those games uh and I will like the situation uh, on G League Ignite you know it was interesting because the team existed to help develop him and and Kuminga and and you know the lesser guys that they had as well but I also actually didn't think that you know they pretty much like played two bigs most of the time like he's starting and playing with you know an Amir Johnson at center, Brandon Ashley, who is, you know, like a semi-decent three-point shooter, but not spacing the floor a lot. You know, he was operating more inside. And then Kaminga, who couldn't shoot at all. Like, those are those are his three through five that he's played with. And then Jared Jack is not really a good shooter either. Um, you know, Bobby Brown is, but uh, Jack isn't. And so those are the guys that he was playing with. And so I thought that there wasn't that much space on the floor. I thought he showed enough nascent playmaking, again, that I would say is ahead of where Booker and Levine and Bradley Beal were 
at the same age. Uh, I would say that his athleticism is, you know, pretty much on par with Zach Levine, but I think he's, you know, maybe a little bit more physical player, a little better feel for finishing than Zach Levine had a, at the same age, you know, at UCLA when he was averaging 14 points a game. Um, so maybe I'm just giving, it seems like maybe where we differ the most on him, because I'll agree with your things about like, yeah, he's going to be a shooting guard. He's going to be a one position defender, you know, probably mostly focused on scoring. Uh, although I think maybe he can grow the playmaking in the hand a little bit more. Uh, but maybe where we most disagree is just whether the performance that he had in the G League was impressive or not. Because I thought it was. I thought he was shoot, I mean, shooting NBA threes, 37% on like some very difficult attempts that he was taking. Like, I think he's going to be a pretty good shooter. Um, so I, I like him a lot. I think, uh, you know, is he, could it be tough for him to get to being a top 10 player in the NBA due to just his one positionness? I, I, I would say yes. But also, I mean, you know, to get a, a, an all-star shooting guard with the number two pick, I mean that's that's pretty good, you know. I, and I don't and I don't see anyone else uh, that I've watched that has anywhere near that type of ability to me. Okay, well I should say you know I'm in the minority here. I mean most people yeah. have Jalen Green second on their board uh, or third. Uh, you know it's it's Cade Green Mobley or Cade Mobley Green uh, if you go by consensus. Yeah. Uh, Again, I, you know, historically, if you're if you're a player, you go to the G League and you kick everyone's ass. And so, as an eighteen year old, there's a little bit of an asterisk here because we've never seen an eighteen year old go there before. Um, but even you know, a, a teenage Clint Capella or whatever, you know what I mean? Just just like goes there and kicks ass, or um, or or some of the other guys who have been who have been sent down there briefly, uh, you know, ten, have tended to perform very well when, when they're, when they're sent down there. So we, we don't know exactly how to calibrate G league performance for an 18 year old, because green is kind of the first one. Uh, but we know with players a little older that they tend to do better than green did. And, and so that, I guess that in my analytical mind weighs on me a little bit. He, he did shoot the ball pretty well. I, I do think his shooting will probably be like, I, I don't look at his form and think, Oh my goodness, that's beautiful. But I, yeah. I, I think he's going to be fine as, as a shooter. I agree with you there. And then he has that, that first step uh, quickness and, you know, the ability to get like random transition plays because he's such a good athlete and whatnot. So he, he will score. I think that's the one thing everyone agrees on. And again, I got him fifth, not 50th. Uh, so, yeah. you know, definitely like, I like them too, but I just, there are a couple of guys I like a little better. No, I, I, I could see that. And, and Mobley is an interesting one too. We'll talk about him in a second, but yeah, I, I guess that's, uh, cause like, so if you, you think like if G, if uh green did this in college, like the G league is definitely harder than college, right? Like you agree with me on that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, just so, some of the things that he was able to do, like I do, I, I agree with you a little bit on his, his release where it, that low release might make it a little more difficult for him to score in the mid-range at times. But I actually, you know, he threw enough passes with enough flashes that I feel like he's going to be, he'll get to being a good enough playmaker. You know, I think he can be better than maybe where uh, Levine has been, for example. But yeah, I mean, that was part of my comparison is just uh, watching the film. I thought like he was ahead of some of these other shooting guards at the same age. And yeah, I mean, the athleticism is 
ridiculously special. I think he's got better feel than Zach Levine as well. So, you know, if I were going through some of the guard prospects, just where I had them ranked as prospects at the time, I would have him above Edwards from last year. What, what about you? Uh, I don't think so. I had Edwards number two on my board last year. Um, I, w- I would have probably kept Edwards ahead, ahead of Green. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, because, like, to me, Green had better stats than Edwards. Uh, like, I thought he was more impressive than Edwards in the G League than Edwards was playing at Georgia. Um, and he also just didn't have, like, all the weird lapses that Edwards has as well. I mean, Ed, Edward, I mean, if, if you wanted to, yeah, if, if you wanted to pick Warts, I mean, Edwards, Edwards' tape certainly had plenty of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought his, I thought his, Best plays were, were probably better. And then his his score, just his sheer scoring rate was off the charts for a college. Yeah. Um, he did have a, a little bit of license to, uh, <laughs> to bomb away. Uh, yeah. And, and I think, you know, as we see more of these guys at G League Ignite, like there's, I, I think there is some risk here of just not really knowing what this situation means, right? Like most guys who are in college, we can kind of be like, all right, you know, how does this translate? Whereas maybe you don't have the, the greatest idea. I mean, also, I think Green just having the pedigree before G League Ignite as well is something else that you can point to. So um, let's talk about Mobley a little bit here. You know, you have a number two. I have him three. I, I liked him. My big concern for him, though, is, you know, all right, it would be great if he could play center, right? Like, you know, it's, it's kind of the Jaron Jackson problem of, yeah, if this guy's a center, like his skill level is really good. He's a plus offensive player. If he can't play center defensively, then you kind of like, all right, how much does all this offensive stuff really work? Because he doesn't have necessarily one dominant skill. If he's a center, like all this versatility really works well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I was interested in your take on him as, you know, because I know you're you're a connoisseur of bigs. Uh, and uh, I, 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 I was really curious what you would think of him because there's there's a variety of skills here. There are shades of Chris Bosch or Pau Gasol, um, but there's also this skinny frame, just an okay rebound rate as a collegian, and you want to see him do more of the actual big guy stuff so that he can leverage all the small guy stuff he can do. Yeah, and that stuff, you know, he's his skill level is not, if he's playing power forward, that's not really like that elite. Now, maybe, maybe he could be so good defensively moving his feet that he can kind of play in a similar fashion like to Anthony Davis uh, as a power forward and you know, improve his shooting. Like, I think he's got pretty good shooting potential. Not amazing, but I think I think pretty good. I think he's going to be able to make NBA three-pointers reasonably well. Um, and he also is a great passer for a, a big guy. I was really, really impressed with some of the passes uh, that he was throwing. So, um, but like the rebounding and the size inside in a league that you do have, you still got to guard Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic uh, on some of these nights. And you know, even DeMontis Sabonis or Nikola Vucevic or something. And so I, I just, I wonder how his body is going to fill out. I mean, that's the biggest thing. Like if he's going to just be such a string bean that he can, he can't rebound and he, he can't hold his, his own or he's, you know, he can only play center in certain matchups or at the end of games, it just, that makes things so much harder for his offense to really thrive either as a passer or, you know, doing the DHO game. Like, you need him to be guarded by the other team's center, I would say, to really to really open up your offense. 
I mean, that's one of the things picking this high when you pick when you pick a big this high. Like, <laughs> you really need to hit on them because the value, the, otherwise, the valuation of just like a a halfway decent big, it's it just it just isn't that great, right? Yeah. And, and so that that's always been one of my arguments against drafting bigs, especially drafting bigs up high, is that you just have to think in terms of the opportunity cost. Like getting a big wing who can handle the ball is always the thing you're trying to get to first. And th- th- that's like, they, that's basically my argument for Cade, number one, even though I think he has more weaknesses than people have acknowledged, is that just getting getting that guy with, with size who can handle the ball in the perimeter is is everything in this league. I mean, even, even for, for the Bucks last night, like having Chris Middleton was so freaking huge for them. Um, you know, just having that guy who at six seven can basically play as a de facto point guard, and so you're you're losing out on the opportunity to get that when you draft a big. So even though even though you say Mobley has all star upside, you have to think about that too. That if he that if he doesn't hit that and is just kind of you know the fourteenth best center or whatever, right? Like, what did you miss out on here? No, I, I think that's a. A good point and you know I, I think like a decent offensive comp for him uh might be like al horford with like a little more size and ability to finish alley-oops or, around the rim you know maybe that's kind of how he's going to play where he just he doesn't have that one elite skill but you know he can play the dho game maybe pop out to three and shoot it find some cutters make plays on the short roll maybe post up a little bit but you know against some smaller guys potentially or just like you know uh be a solid role man like i think he could be a, a pretty good role man like he, he pops off the ground pretty good uh, on some of these dunks um but it's just a question again of, of whether he can hold up defensively but i think you know he does you mentioned how good his feet are like if he can be a center like he's got pretty good not maybe elite rim protection uh he never fouls though which i think was is actually pretty impressive for a player like this he averaged like two fouls a game or something um i think he needs to uh Shall we say slightly up his intensity level? That's one of the big, yeah. That's one of the big critiques of him is that he's kind of his mentality is more of like the secondary guy. Like he, his motor doesn't run super hot. He's he's not the guy who's demanding the ball. Uh, so that that's definitely been a critique of him. Now, when he really runs, like on a closeout or sprinting the floor, now, I mean, you got to watch a lot of film to see it. But when you see it, it's pretty impressive how much ground the guy can cover. Um, all right, let, let's hit one more here on on Cade. So for me, I you know I think I started off. I watched Barnes, watched Mobley, uh, I, I watched Green. I think I watched pretty much everyone bef- uh, uh, in the top six before I got to Cade, and I watched probably six clips of him. I'm like, okay, this guy's the number one pick. Like this, this is a guy that I is like. I watch it and I'm like, this guy is the number one pick. But it seems, and I can get into why that is, but it seems like you don't quite feel that way as like this is a, you know, real elite number one pick that we're talking about historically, even if you do have him at number one on your board right now. Yeah, I guess I, there was a lot with him when I watched him that didn't, didn't kind of pop off to me that I was watching a future superstar. Uh, he, so let's start on the positive. I think he can really shoot. Like yeah. he he was taking difficult pull-ups and still shot a high percentage. And when he did shoot off a catch and shoot, I mean that thing was just gorgeous. Uh, so 
absolutely no worries there, and that's still the most important skill in the game. His jumper, his jumper is wet, as they say. I mean, like it's just when it goes in. I mean, it's it's not quite you know the perfect art that like Steph Curry has, but I mean you know his his motion. It's just all one motion. It comes off his hand beautifully. It just like pours into the basket. Yeah. So when you talk about like a Tatum slash Middleton type shooter at his size, that then you're you're automatically dealing with a big advantage here. So I think from that perspective, like just just looking at his floor, you gotta like him at or near the top of the draft relative to the floors of some of these other players. Now some of the other stuff with him uh, was was more concerning to me. Uh, you know, as far as the guy who has the ball in his hands, uh, I I didn't think he was that great at that. Um, yeah. I thought his, his left hand dribble was pretty weak. He turned it over a lot. Uh, you know, he, he forced passes into spots that weren't there. Uh, had a lot of trouble getting by people on switches. Like so many clips of him just driving straight into a center's chest. And so that, but the issue is like, okay, but he always has this option to just rise up and shoot a three because he's six eight and can shoot it. So I, I think that ends up being his fallback. But I think that's also where. Where like you know th- like th- this is not a Luca type player where you just give him the keys to the offense and then you know don't don't worry about it. I I think he's kind of your 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 one A or, or your your one B or your two uh, kind of in, in terms of your your offensive hierarchy. And and if you really try to make him a high usage player, you're going to run into some problems. Yeah, I I would agree with you uh, on some of that. I think he's a little slow. Uh, you know, not really an elite finisher. He does, have, you know, I think his skill level is high. You know, he'll try to get some cheeky finishes with the left hand, stuff like that. But, you know, he can get his shot blocked a, around the basket and he's not getting uh, elite separation. So I think, you know, he's going to have to be kind of more of a using his footwork and the jab step. Maybe he operates more from the mid post and rises up over guys. I think that getting strong is going to be a big part of it as well to where he can just use his body to create space because he's not necessarily going to be able to do it uh, with his quickness. I was very impressed by his, his passing though. I mean, that was, I saw a couple of passes early on in my film of him where that was part of that. Oh, like this is the guy, like this guy, he can really shoot it. I think he can really pass it. Uh, you know, it wasn't a great Oklahoma state team with a lot of spacing for, for him there to go to not- work. Not a lot of shooting on that team or spacing, yeah. So that that's one of the caveats. But his his turnover rate was insanely high. Yeah, but I you know I, I think someone once did some research that that's like the thing that most improves for for prospects. I can't remember who it was, but uh, I read about that in uh, this dusty old book in the early two thousands. Um, <laughs> but so I mean that doesn't worry me that much. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't, I, I agree with you in the sense that it's like, it, do I have to guess that this guy's going to be a top 10 player? You know, is he going to get there? Uh, I, I would say probably not, right? But, you know, how many prospects do you think that about? You know, maybe in the last five years, it, Zion might be the only one where you'd say, yeah, I think he, he's probably going to get there. And maybe, you know, maybe Luca would have been the, the other one. Uh, but, you know, and Luca is interesting too. Like, Luca doesn't, isn't really any faster than Kaded. He's just like unbelievable at changing speeds and decelerating. And, and he's 
he's stronger than Kate is uh, as well, I would say. But, you know, I mean, I think with this shooting ability, his passing ability, also like his defense is solid. It's not elite, but it's he's not going to get taken advantage of. He's going to be able to switch, I think, you know, hold his own uh, in most matchups there. You know, I think he can get a little bit of a, a post game against smaller guys. Like, you know, they can do the run a, a smaller guy at him, pick and roll, and then he can back down and shoot a mid-range over him. Like he's, you know, I think he can be, uh, and I would say, you know, compared to say Tatum, he doesn't quite have like the length of Tatum or the ability to explode at the basket off of one foot uh, as Tatum. But I think he has a higher skill level uh, uh, than Tatum at the same age, particularly as a three-point shooter and particularly as a passer. So, I, I mean, I, I think he's going to settle in as like a solid all-star level of player. And I agree with you getting above that. It, maybe it's a little more difficult just due to the fact that he's not that athletic. But, I mean, yeah, six seven, pass it, shoot it, good kid, defends hard. Uh, that's a pretty good package to me. Yeah, yeah. So, I think, you know... The- the default is still with him at number one, even if it's not like an Anthony Davis level home run number one pick. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. You have access to the same computers at home as those bricks and mortar stores do. So why not just use those and avoid spending 30%, 50%, even 100% more from a chain store or wow a car dealership that that would be even worse rock auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years and their prices are reliably low for every customer they have everything you can eat brake parts tail lamps motor oil even new carpet go explore their easy to use website today to find the solution to your auto part needs so go to rockauto.com right now see all the parts available for your car and truck right locked on in there how did you hear about us box so they know that you came from us main selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com built bar makes the best protein bars that i have ever tried and they've got new flavors raspberry cherry barcia mint brownie double chocolate salted caramel cookies and cream if you haven't tried all their flavors get a mixed box you can get two of each of their nine flavors and not only are built bar the best tasting flavors but they're healthy too check out the macros 1780 grams of protein 130 to 180 calories only four to five grams of sugar and only four to five grams of net carbs amazing flavors all tasty all healthy order today get the grasshopper cookie or raspberry or whatever you like built bar is even the official protein bar of the u.s track and field team Go to built.com and use the promo code LOCKDOWN to get 15% off your order. That's built.com for 15% off. Make sure you use that LOCKDOWN promo code. So the next thing we should talk about here that is really interesting because we're going to be a pretty much upon it next year is free agency and uh, boards has been updated the, the uh, I, I loved it on the athletic like because I, I had to go click on your on the article to see it. I clicked on your your archive first, and it said the the selling point was uh, free agent rankings with updated boards, like <laughs> formula formula updated, like that's and of course that's the thing that's gonna get us like super nerds to click on it, which uh, <laughs> which uh, of course I did. So let's start here with a, a guy who many people may not think is this good. Boards has. Duncan Robinson, a restricted free agent, age 27, valued at in production at 24 million mm-hmm. next year. Why is this guy, who all he can do is shoot, valued that high? I think it's just the, what he does to your offense because of the threat of his shooting uh, is basically like 
A big reason Miami's offense works with two non-shooters as the main focal points is because of the other shooters on the floor, and in particular, Duncan Robinson, who, if you look like, will be in the corner and be arm wrestling with a guy in the corner instead of the corner guy like coming in to help and block Jimmy Butler's drive, and all of a sudden there's just a runway to the rim for Jimmy Butler or, or Bam Adebayo. I, I think that's been a big... Uh, reason that Miami's offense has been so successful the last two years. And, I mean, if, if you look, he has the highest true shooting percentage uh, career of any non-big. Uh, and he's, he's pretty far ahead. He's 65% career. Uh, Steph is the next one at like 62.5. So, I mean, he he's really efficient and really twists your defense uh, in in bad ways when you try to take away his threat. Now, that said, I could still argue that this valuation is too high because I think it it basically pays for all of the upside of Duncan Robinson, right? Yeah. Like there's 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 no outcome where you're getting where you're like, oh, this turned out that he was worth more than twenty four million, right? Like this this is the absolute peak of, of what he's gonna be able to give you. because uh, his usage isn't really going to be able to scale up. It's not like there's untapped defensive potential here or you're going to start putting him on the ball. So I think from that perspective, that's, that's where it kind of, that's where it kind of misses. It just looks at him and, and, you know, in a vacuum and says, you know, this is, this is kind of what his plus minus is per minute. This is what his age is. So this is what his value should be. But I think if you look at best case and worst case outcomes, I think there's a lot more potential to surprise you on the downside than on the upside, which is why your your financial target for him should be more conservative. Yeah. Well, I think you also just described the entire free agency process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, winner's curse is a huge problem in, in free agency, uh, yeah. especially when you get outside the exceptions or the max, uh, because it's basically who overbids for the guy the most. You know, if, if 10 teams have interest in a guy and – they all put in a bid. The one that's going to bid is the one that overvalues the guy the most. So by definition, that team is probably going to lose on the contract. Yeah. I, I do like Robinson a lot though, because even though he's not a high usage or scoring guy, like you can actually run plays for him. Like you, you that there are not that many guys who can be like a staple part of your offense, him running off of screens and handoffs. He takes the most contested threes, uh, with tight coverage within two to four feet in the NBA. Basically, he draws a bunch of three-shot fouls as well because guys are freaking out on him. And now you do wonder about him getting attacked defensively in the playoffs, but I think for a team that it doesn't necessarily have that high of aspirations, you know, I think he could be a really good fit. Like on a, San Antonio, I think he would be a wonderful fit there, for example, because of all the guys that they have with Murray and, you know, White's a solid shooter, Keldon Johnson, Vassell, and, you know, they're not going to find a superstar in this free agent class, but he does give them something, someone to run plays for or to just give some space for those guys. They perpetually with this group uh, have struggled to space yeah. the floor. But, I, I mean, obviously him being restricted is really interesting. The Heat uh, have him on a, a low cap hold. Who knows what the hell they're going to do ultimately but he has so much value to them, it certainly would behoove them to reach an agreement with him early uh, so that they can keep him around and utilize uh, the low cap yeah. hold. Which, what you want to do if you're Miami is reach an agreement with him early enough that you can 
uh, pulled his qualifying offer and have the even lower cap hold and more cap room to fill up before you actually go ahead and re-sign him. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see here. Who else do we disagree on a little bit? I actually think you have Spencer Dinwiddie a little bit too low. Now, I'm not sure how, how much of that, it, you got him at $13 million for next year. How much of that is based on just the fact that he was injured and didn't play this year? Yeah, I mean, so, so I have a minutes projection that factors into this. So his, yeah. his minutes projection is definitely going to hurt him there. Um, so that, that, that's probably a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't have what I projected for his minutes, right? But sure, 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 surely that's, that's a, that's part of the issue. Yeah. No, I mean, well, I guess we'll get a, a good idea. Uh, yeah, I mean, they basically say that he's healthy now after tearing his ACL, uh, right at the start of the season, but you know, in like, I think it was very end of December that he did that, the, the partially torn ACL. But I think as, as a guy to me, if healthy, you know, four years, 80 million would have been a good deal for him, honestly, at, at, at age 28. Maybe you take a little bit of a discount off of that uh, due to the injury issue. Uh, and this is actually the second ACL injury that he's had in his career. And he is pretty reliant on his uh, explosiveness and his ability to get to the basket and draw free throws. But I like him as a passer. I think he can be a better shooter on a team where he doesn't have to take every single three off the dribble because all their other ball handlers are injured like it was two years ago for them. Um, I think he defends pretty well. You know, I haven't really seen him in a playoff setting to know how much he could switch. Uh, but, I, you know, I think he's he's got more size 6'5 than your normal point guard does. So, I, you know, I certainly would have him above, say, Dennis Schroeder in my point guard rankings. I don't think he's going to give you... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, what the, what the hell is going to happen with Schroeder, by the way? I think that's a really interesting question because, like, I don't think the Lakers, like, are that excited to have him back, but their best alternative might be to re-sign him just because I don't know what else they can do in their situation. Yeah, well, and, the, the uh, Chris Paul to the Lakers articles are coming out now, which it doesn't seem particularly realistic, if, if assuming that Chris Paul likes money, which I think as the head of the Players Association, he probably does. Yeah, because, I mean, him... Him opting into that deal, and then like, how do the Lakers even put together enough money to trade for him at forty-four million? Which I mean, it, like Chris Paul has to opt into that, right? Like, there's there's no way he's he's not he's not opting out of that to take a minimum with the Lakers. Like, sorry guys. Well, he might opt out and then re-sign with uh, Phoenix on you know like a three-year ninety million dollar deal. Or yeah, I can see him doing that too. The, the other thing, though, is, I mean, if he opts out and re-signs, he, him doing a sign-and-trade to the Lakers is not humanly possible, uh, given the apron. Yes. Uh, now, I if I were him, I or if I were Phoenix, I would probably ask him to just opt into the $44 million, and then we'll extend you for $20 million the next two years after that. You know, I think yeah, because that's, that's that's what I'd be looking at too. Because you have these eight and bridges extensions coming up, right? And you're basically going to be a tax team if you don't set it up that you that you have the bulk of that Chris Paul cap hit in twenty one twenty two. Quick aside here, what do you think of like Phoenix's chances for uh, getting back to the finals next year or or being a really good team again next year? I think they can be quite good next year. Um, you know they'll have an issue bringing back Cameron Payne. I'm I'm sure, but they could they could probably re-sign him. They add one big. Uh, they won't be as healthy as they were this year, most likely. But you know, I, I think the most likely scenario is that they end up as like the three seed and losing the second round. Uh, yeah. But 
I, I still think they'll be one of the better teams in the West and like a legitimate contender. Yeah, I, I think that's probably right. And uh, having, you know, top five-ish team in the West coming into next year, let's see what all, you know, the Lakers and the Clippers and the Warriors and uh, the Nuggets and the Jazz do. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think they found a pretty good regular season formula. You mentioned that their health won't be as good, which I think is a, a reasonable statement. Um, so, yeah, but I mean, I, I wouldn't have them. I, I will be surprised if I have them favored to come out of the West next year. Do you also think that this, everyone says, all right, DeAndre Ayton, no-brainer Max. You on board with that? I mean, I, it seems like they're going to, like, quote-unquote, have to do it. But is, like, is he going to live up to that contract, you think? I think there's a good chance he, he lives up to that. I mean, he what you would describe him as probably like a, a fringe all-star, right? Um, hey. Or maybe like a not-quite a not all-star um, in his early 20s right now. Sorry, that that was me yelling at the cat. By the way, she was uh, she was chewing on my headphone cord. <laughs> <laughs> I att- I attempted to mute my uh, microphone, but that that didn't work. So, uh... <laughs> so you're you're paying for the sweet spot of his career. It's the low max. Um, I I think I I certainly could justify it. Where where I would get skittish, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be throwing like player options on top of that. Um, and if you could do. Like, what if you could do like the five-year max with him, but at descending money? I mean, I, I don't, I don't think there's any chance. Like, everybody in the media is saying it's an obvious max. There's no way they're taking anything less than the max. I'm more concerned just about how it actually turns out, uh, because it's going. It's, I mean, it seems fait accompli that it's going to happen at this point. Yeah, and then you know, Bridges' money will be interesting too to see what what he gets. Uh, yeah. You know, certainly I think Ananobi will be a comparison point and, and some of these other guys, but they may have to go to 20 a year on him too. Yeah, and, you know, we still got a little bit of time before the cap goes up. But, yeah, with Booker, Booker, Aiton, Bridges, you know, because Paul at some point is not going to be a, a star anymore, uh, you know, is that a team that can be a contender? Um, you know, I, I just wonder about that with Aiton. Like, I think he's, with him on a rookie deal – and as your third or fourth best player, like it worked out pretty well for them this year. Like, can he push up offensively to be your second best player? Uh, because he's going to be getting paid like that. Like that's going to be the expectation. Like, can he do some creation on offense, not just be a finisher? Like his finishing is very valuable, but there are also other guys can, who can do that. And they also, you know, the way their team is going to be structured, there's going to be only one other guy who can really set him up for those shots. And so, He's going to need to be a guy who can actually create shots for the team and maybe even for some others uh, in addition to himself. So I, I I wonder if he's going to be able to get there or not. And I also wonder, like, is he going to be – I mean, he can also live up to that contract by getting into, you know, the defensive player of the year conversation. But I'm not sure that that's necessarily going to happen either. I think he's done very well to get solid, but I still don't think he has, you know, go bear type of – uh, defensive player of the year upsider or Giannis style. So, uh, all right. Well, that was, uh, that was a fun debate. Let's pick one more guy here who we should talk about on the, uh, on the free agent market. Anyone that you really like champing at the bit here that you think is wildly over or underrated? Well, let's see. We already talked about Dennis Schroeder, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> man. Uh, oh, I got one for you. I got one for you. Sure. Jared Allen. Yeah, so I had him around sixteen million, if I remember right. Yes, that is exactly correct. I I think that's probably about fair for him. Like I don't, 
Like he's probably not going to be an all-star. He's probably like a, you know, a good solid starting center, um, you know, play a drop, rim run, do that kind of stuff. Uh, can maybe switch in some scenarios, but pr- probably isn't going to develop beyond that point. So I don't know. I think that's that's pretty fair value for Cleveland if they get like 465, something like that. Where are you on him? Lower, I, I would say. You know, I would have him in the 12 to 13 million range as far as a number I would feel comfortable paying. But like, what is so awesome about him exactly? Like, why is he better than Avicha Zubats or Jakob Pertl? These guys who have gotten like 9 million a year. I, I actually would say... I probably like Pirtle and Zubats better than him. Well, I mean, you're talking to a guy who has had Zubats and Pirtle valued much higher than their contracts yeah. in the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with you. Um, I, I do think he has more ability to be like a vertical spacer than those guys. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's a little bit of a difference. I mean, Z- Zubats has become a very good, like, verticality guy, like, Pretty decent on switches, and Zubats can actually shoot a little too. Although they don't really let him do that much there, uh, where, where I think Allen's a little behind him there. So I I do like like Pirtle. I think is actually like Pirtle is really good at what he does, but he is kind of limited. Like if he goes outside his box at all, like it's just it's not going to end well. Uh, yeah, I mean he's also so, like I think Pirtle is like a top five rim protector in the league. Oh, he's he's yeah he's great at that. Just you know. You know, he shoots 12% from the foul line, and, and he's not switchable. So there's yeah, he, just was, like... he was up to 14% by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah, but but I mean, I think it's just like his skill set is not special. Like we've seen like, you know, four years or, or five years, 100 million bandied about. And hey, I mean, the Cavs did invest a first-round pick and taking on the, the salary of Torian Prince to get him. And so you think that they did that with the expectation that they're going to pay him. But I just, I, I don't know why it is that he's kind of gotten overrated a little bit. Maybe probably actually, I think maybe what it is is just being on the nets. He was involved in trade talks for so long that it was just, he was viewed as like kind of this big asset, but I think he's just, he's like kind of a guy. He's like a starting center. You know, I, he doesn't really, he can rim run. He can protect the rim. I don't think he's like absolutely elite at either of those two things. He gets in foul trouble a lot. He's not really strong enough to guard, uh, like, the post-up centers either, and I don't think he's going to get there necessarily. So um, even someone like Clint Capella, who I thought, you know, at similar age showed way more than him, ended up getting, like, five years, $85 million or something like that. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Uh, That's a why, comparison. Why Jared Allen is going to get more, I just don't really understand, like, why he's better than all these other guys. Um All right, well, that was fun. That will do it for today's pod. Again, sorry about those audio issues. And if you stayed until the end, uh, we appreciate it. But hope you will still join us again next week when we'll have that fixed. And we'll talk about free agency. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? 
Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.